I am so thrilled to be here with you guys this morning. For one thing, I have not been in a church for a long time. We, I've been going online. That's how the mega churches are these days. And I, I'm so grateful to you guys for a number of reasons. For one, for years you have supported the Davises and also Pioneer Bible Translators in general for years. And, you know, that, that means that when you're, you know, passing that plate around on a normal Sunday when it's not the apocalypse, and you're putting just, you think you don't have much, but when you give it to God like that, God takes it and works miracles around the world. And we're really in a, an incredible moment right now. This is, this is a great moment for a series on prayer. I mean, I, a lot of times people aren't maybe prepared for wanting to pray, but is it just me, or is this a great time to pray? I mean, I feel it. And, you know, I feel like we don't even understand what's happening to us, do we? We don't know what's going on. And it's just a little bit easier to cry these days. Just a little bit easier to get sad these days. And we feel a need. So, hopefully... This sermon will, will help you to kind of uh, be inspired to invest time and, and, and uh, faith in prayer. Rebecca and I worked in West Africa for 12 and a half years, and we translated the whole Bible in, into the Yalunka language. So that's just kind of to give you a little bit of a, a background where, where I come from. And that, when this whole thing was starting, that's where we were. We were visiting over there and training people to make disciples. And so, you know, that, that was maybe the last normal thing that I did. So praise God, you guys are, are meeting. And, and you know what? If it wasn't for churches like Hillcrest Christian Church, probably a lot of people couldn't even justify owning pants anymore. I mean, we, 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 wouldn't, we wouldn't even, I mean, I, I would have already given mine to Goodwill, except I knew I was going to have to preach. And, you know, I had to find one that fits, right? You know, is that a problem for just me, or is that like also you guys? So, so you know, it is the apocalypse, and this is the post-apocalyptic church. And welcome to a Sunday morning in the apocalypse. So, prayer is the strategy that powers the church and powers the mission of God. But I think if you ask Christians, a lot of people would say they really have a hard time praying. Like, they don't feel good at it. And um, I think part of the reason is we have it in the wrong category. We think about it kind of like a, a discipline, like running. You know, and we think about it like that, and, and it's kind of like uh, when, the, when the preacher says, uh, reads the Bible, and he says, brothers and sisters, pray without ceasing. We kind of hear that like we would, brothers and sisters, run without ceasing. And you're like, Pastor, I, I, I just can't do it. I'm not good at that. I'm not disciplined enough. I can't, uh, I don't know how. And, you know, but it's, what if we just switch the category a little bit and we put it in the same category where we have eating? You know, and then it'd be like, brothers and sisters, eat without ceasing. Like, finally, something I am qualified to do, right? And prayer, it would be kind of like we, could, we would be saying things like, uh, you know, lately I've just been over-praying. I, I, I get so 
stressed. I've been stress praying. I just go on a binge. You know, I went to church the other day. It was all you could pray buffet. You know, we'd have it in a total different. We just have it in the wrong category. Because prayer is not exactly a discipline like running. Prayer sustains the body of Christ just as surely as food. Prayer, Jesus feeds his church and his people through prayer. Prayer is the strategy that powers the church. And Jesus taught that the reason that God gathers his people together is for prayer. Uh, he says in Mark 11, 15 through 17, it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would, would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Isn't it written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus is saying, Look, you don't even understand why God gathers His people together. You know, this is not a business plan for gathering huge crowds and entertaining them. This is about, for Jesus, gathering together, the core of that is prayer. You know, and I think that maybe over time in this country, we've lost ground on prayer. When I was a kid, there, was, there used to be a long, incredibly boring prayer in the middle of church. Do you remember that? We don't do that very much anymore because we kind of found it boring. Maybe we were praying wrong a little bit too. But what could be boring about a torrent of God's power rushing into your life and into your church? There's nothing boring about that. So what would it take for this church to be known as a house of prayer and for you and me to become people known as people of prayer. Uh, I can tell you that I did not just automatically know to rely on prayer when I was first starting out in ministry. We went over to West Africa. You know, we didn't have, we just had bicycles. And we lived in this village, and we lived in a literally kind of a shack. You could touch the, the tin roof like that. Uh, you know, if you, if you go and Google the, the plans for a solar oven, this is our house. That's where we lived for a while. And uh, this one day when we were first in the village, I remember hearing this lady just uh, wailing and crying and weeping. And I found a friend of mine, and I said, hey, what, what's up with this lady? And, and he said, her three-year-old son, uh, she believes he's dying. And I said, well, you know, uh, maybe we could take a look at this kid and, and see what's wrong with him. And, and he said, you know, well, he's out being treated by the witch doctor, but you know what, we'll go back and get him, and we'll bring him over here, and, and you can treat him instead. And as he walked off, I, I said, what? <laughs> and then, you know, so they brought this kid in, and they put him in a hut, 
And we, when we came across him, he was laying on the dirt floor of this dark grass hut. And, you know, he was just hyperventilating. And his eyes were just kind of straight ahead, staring straight ahead. And when I tested, the, the pupils were huge. And when I tested them with a flashlight, they didn't respond. And I thought, wow, you know, I've, I've watched enough emergency television on TV. That's like pupils fixed and dilated. I'm sure that's bad. But I don't know exactly what it means. And, you know, I started saying, you know, we started talking about possible medical procedures. But we only had bicycles. We couldn't even get the kid to the hospital. And so I was like, well, you know, it can't be meningitis because we don't have any medicine for that. That would be bad. You know, what if, you know, maybe it could be cerebral malaria maybe. And, and uh, all, you know, I thought, hey, we're talking to the pastor. And, and, and I said, hey, you know, we are missionaries. What if we, like, pray for the kid? And as soon as the word prayer came out of my mouth, out of the corner of my eye, I saw his eyes blink. And he started looking around the room. And I said, we better hurry up and pray for this kid because I think God is healing him. So we prayed for that child and he was healed. And that's when I first started to really learn that God is real. And He wants us to rely on Him first and not as a last resort. So then, you know, back in 2006, I was over there in the village translating the Bible, minding my own business, when disaster struck. The board of Pioneer Bible Translators called me on my satellite telephone and asked me to become the president of Pioneer Bible Translators. And at first I was kind of, you know, I was pretty honored by that. But then reality struck and I realized, wow, this is going to be bad. Because I am going to go over there and everybody's going to be looking at me and they're going to be like, okay, President Pruitt, what's the plan? What's the strategy? How are we going to win? And, you know, I don't know anything about running a 501c3 nonprofit. You know, ask me about hunting warthogs. Now, there's something I know a lot about. And, you know, ask me how to fix a kerosene refrigerator. And I, I'm a good expert at that. But at that time, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I started to get really scared. So I thought, had this thought. I said, you know, I, I am a Bible translator. What if I look in the Bible? So <laughs> I started reading the Bible desperate for a source of power. And I started noticing over and over and over again these passages where Jesus promised unlimited power if you pray in certain ways. And so I said, what if this would actually work? What if instead of praying about our strategies, what if we made prayer the strategy? And we centered our whole organization, our whole everything we did around praying the kinds of prayers that Jesus promised that He would answer with unlimited power. And so that is exactly what we did. Because Jesus said in John 14, 12-14, I think it's my favorite verse, He said, I tell you the truth, Anyone who has faith in me will do 
what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay, so he he didn't say like, if you are an apostle, I'm going to do this. He said, anyone who has faith in me. So raise your hand if you have faith in Jesus. Okay, so now turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is talking about you. Right? There's a lot of places, you know, in the Bible where like, in church we hear that, hey look, the Bible's not all about you. Actually, today, it's about you. This thing is about you. Jesus is talking about you. He said, if you ask Him for anything in His name. So, that makes it really important for us to understand what does it mean when He says, in Jesus' name. Like, is that, that part of the prayer where you like say, dear God, please give me a Lamborghini sports car and a really hot girlfriend. And then you just like, in Jesus' name. And now, it's locked in. He, he has no choice but to do exactly what you said. And that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name? No, that's, that's not it. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But that's not what it means. In the Bible, when you talk about the name of somebody, people's name have, has meaning. The names in the Bible have meaning. And they represent and reflect the character or the nature of the person. So when Jesus is saying, ask anything in my name, He's saying ask anything in my authority, in my nature, in my character, in my mission on earth, and I will so there's kind of a little bit of bad news here because that, that Lamborghini thing, you know, I hate to say it, but it's probably not in the character of Jesus that much. But the good news is that there are things that we can pray that are in Jesus' name right here in McKinney, Texas. And those Jesus promises He will do. He said in John 15, 7, If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. In uh, John 15, 15 15-16, He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's Instead, I've called you my friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And then, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So it's important to think, what is 
the master's business right here in McKinney, Texas. So, what does it mean for you to pray in Jesus' name? What mission in your family has Jesus given you? What is it that's consistent with His nature and His character that He longs for you to do right here in your work, in your neighborhood, right around this church? What is the Master's business? And if you pray about that, Jesus promised unlimited power. God answers prayers in Jesus' name with unlimited power. And you know, maybe some of us have never really prayed anything in Jesus' name. Like most of the time, if you get a prayer meeting together, what do we do? We make a list of everyone who's sick and we talk about and we pray about that, right? But but this is something a little different. What is the mission of Jesus for the people around you? That's praying in Jesus' name. The master's business. Bearing eternal fruit, like he said. So uh, you know, even apostles, they never prayed in Jesus' name. He says, I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in My name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in My name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Okay, so Jesus also taught another thing. He taught us to persevere. There was a couple of parables where He taught this. And in Luke 18.1, He tells us that these parables mean that we should always pray and never give up. Thank goodness he told us what they mean. Alright, so one of these parables. You're in your bed at night. Gets to be a little after midnight. You're sleeping, of course. And all of a sudden, somebody's knocking at the door. And you're like, everybody just be quiet. They'll go away. They're not going away. You're grabbing the shotgun. You're like trying to load it in your PJs because... Like in Texas, that's how we roll. Right? You know, you're you're going to the door, your wife has nine one one partially dialed and ready to hit send, and you look out the peephole and oh, oh, it's it's just the crazy neighbor. He's trying to borrow uh, you know, a, a loaf of bread. And then Jesus turns it around and he says, What I want is for you to be the crazy neighbor. I want you to be, and it says in Greek, totally without shame pounding the door of heaven all night long. The guy that just won't go away. That's the kind of prayer he wants us to be. Because God answers persistent prayer. He says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God answers persistent prayer. So why is it that God makes it where we have to like pound the door of heaven all night long, you know, persisting in prayer? I would really find it far more convenient if I would just pray once 
and it would like happen. And so my thinking on this is that there's a good reason why. You know, what would happen if here at Crest Christian Church, one person prayed, uh, Lord, would you please double the size of our church? Well, right now that would mess up social distancing, but let's just, you know, for the sake of argument, what if that happened? We just prayed it once and they kind of forgot he'd ever done that. Uh, and then suddenly, the budget, the income doubles. Pe- baptisms double. The people coming to church double. All of a sudden, God moves in great power. But no one had prayed. What would we say? We'd say, wow, glad we hired Nate. We have a great preacher. Wow, our elders, they're really good elders. We have a great church. We are, we are great. Okay? And that's why God won't answer prayer unless we persist. Because it would hurt us. We would take credit for it. We would grow in our arrogance. And God would never use His power to hurt us. And so, what would happen if in our church we all began to pray for a year Two years even. Lord, double the size of our church. Or Lord, move in great power in our church. Bring visitors to our church. Whatever it is. And we prayed every week for a year. And then God moved in power. What would we say? Nobody would be foolish enough to say anything, but we serve an awesome God. And that's why God insists on answering persistent prayers. So Jesus teaches another thing about prayer. He he teaches us to pray in unified groups. Okay, in uh, Matthew 18, 19 through 20, he says, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there it is again, there am I with them. Okay, so the word that Jesus uses for, uh, that we translate agree, is the same word that we get from which we get symphony. You know, so he's saying, when two or three people gather, in my name, and they pray, that's like a beautiful symphony. That unity, it's beautiful to it. And when we have discord and jealousy and a lack of unity, that's like a cacophony to him. He just he can't stand to hear prayer coming out of that kind of disunity. And so, and another thing about that verse is when it says anything, the word there in Greek is, is the word where we get the word pragmatic. He's talking about an undertaking. So if we gather together in a symphony of unified group prayer about any great undertaking in Jesus' authority and in Jesus' name, then He promises He will do it. So God answers unified group prayer with unlimited power. All right, so let me give you a couple of examples for how I've seen this work. 
uh, back in 2008, back when the last thing we called the Great Recession was happening, and now I don't know what we're going to call this. You know, I had just become president. When, you know, this incredible Great Recession hits, you know, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for, for entrusting me with this. It's a little bit like Nate here. It's becoming the preacher right in the middle of the pandemic. Probably the most courageous thing I've ever seen anybody do. So, I had just become president, and I really started to feel the financial heat fast. You know, uh, I hope that we have a, yeah, here we go. We have a graph of our financial report from July of 2008. And I don't know if you realize it, but zero is up there at the top. I'm not a huge financial genius, but all of our numbers were below zero. And they tell me that's a bad thing in finances. And, and there's another problem. It's like it's all down, you know, kind of like a bobsled to bankruptcy kind of a thing going on here. But that's okay. We had a strategy and we're going to use it. So I contacted everybody in an email and I just simply said, look, please pray that God would pour out His blessings on our finances. So we did. We all prayed. And here's what happened. Alright, so now, if a financial expert came in to audit our books, which they do, and, and they saw this graph, what's the question they would say? They would say this is what they'll say. Sir, uh, President Pruitt, right here in July, what was it that you did right there? Because whatever it is, you need to do that a lot. And as, as a matter of fact, over seven years, our annual income well over doubled. You know, during the Great Recession, you know, God isn't limited by things that we call great recessions or global pandemics. He can do anything anytime he wants to. Okay, so people would ask us, you know, our auditors would ask us, hey, you know, Dr. Pruitt, tell me, what was the business model that overcame the Great Recession? As a matter of fact, some of our best years were in the middle of the Great Recession. And they would ask me that, and I, and I would always, always just kind of look at them, and I would say, we decided that we would pray the kinds of prayers that Jesus promised to answer with unlimited power. They never look at you the same way after that. Never do. <laughs> it's permanent. <laughs> but it was true. And it happened with the personnel numbers too. You know, People told us, these millennials, they're not going to commit to long-term ministry like Bible translation. And, and uh, I don't know what millennials they were meeting. But we, we said, you know what? Same strategy applies everywhere. As a matter of fact, we became like just one-trick ponies. Got a problem? No sweat. We got the solution right here. And we just prayed. And, and you know, we doubled in five years the number of overseas missionaries. Over a period of five years, they doubled. And, and this is really... Okay, try to pick out on this graph, if you can notice it, it's subtle, where we decided to make prayer the strategy of the mission. Can you see a little place where there's a minor shift? That kind of, Yeah, it's big, right? This is so that you can know... And we're not just talking about something that we have to imagine. We're talking about a real God who really answers prayer. 
kind of prayer, you know, kind of answers a prayer you could put on a graph, and you could show an atheist, and he'd say, "Yep, answer a prayer there." That's the kind of prayer we're talking about. And so, you know, we would go to these millennials that people told us wouldn't decide to become Bible translators, and we'd be like, "Hey, how would you like to live in a war-torn tropical malarial zone, just teeming with Islamic extremists?" We would let you raise all your own money. And they would do it. Only God. If, so, if, if God can do that, what would be impossible for this God of ours to do? There's nothing impossible for our God. Prayer is the strategy that powers the mission of God. So here's what I'm suggesting for you to do. First off, ask God to show you what He wants you to do. What is the Master's business for you in this church, for you in your life, in your neighborhood? And then you're going to try to perceive the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is super important. Listening to God, and probably the part of this that I'm going to have to write another book about. Because if you're doing it right, it's probably going to sound terrifying. You know, if, if God is the one giving you something, it's going to sound impossible or shocking or unusual. It's not going to be comfortable because that's the kind of God we serve. He's going to have something enormous, God-sized for you to do. And then you're going to want to create a specific strategic prayer request list so that you can gather friends to pray the same things over and over again. You really can't persist in prayer as a human being without finding a way to pray the same things over and over again. That's not very hard to pray the same things over and over again, but you kind of need to write it down or you'll forget. So how do you make this list? All right, Think about this thing that God is sending you to do. What are all the obstacles that make it impossible? Because it will be impossible. And those are your prayer requests. You know, it's going to require people or money or something you don't have. But that's okay because you serve a God with infinite power. You just put those things on the prayer request list and begin to gather together regularly for unified, persistent group prayer and pray expectantly. When you sit down to pray for guidance, you need to have a pen and paper. Otherwise, you're not really believing that this God of ours is real and will give you real guidance. You know, you'll find suddenly that you're getting instructions on what to do and you're going to need to write those down and be diligent in those as you're prayerfully seeking to serve God. Alright, so in my experience, it doesn't matter who you are. If you do this, God will move in power to answer your prayers. You know, this isn't just like for wealthy people in the United States that this works. Like uh, my friends over there in West Africa, they're great examples of this. One year while I was in the United States of America, a band of thieves began to steal solar panels. They stole the solar panels off the governor's mansion 
They stole the solar panels off the hospital. They stole the solar panels off the police station. And then eventually they came all the way out to my house in the bush and they stole the solar panels off my house while I was in the United States. And the church was furious. No way were these thieves going to steal Jesus' solar panels and get away with it. And so they started having a special catch the thieves fasting and prayer times regularly. Alright, so... Let's be realistic about this. Humanly speaking, there's no way you can catch thieves by fasting and praying, right? We know that. Otherwise, the FBI would be functioning differently than it does now. It'd be like special agent in charge of fasting and prayer and that kind of stuff. No. But that's what they were doing. And one night, after a very special fasting and prayer time to catch the thieves, they walked outside of the church building into the dark, you know, it's Africa. There's no electricity in the whole village. And uh, they were, you know, as Christians do worldwide, they were all standing out in front of the church arguing about stuff. And uh, this guy walked by out on the highway in the dark, and the, one of the leaders of the church pointed and he said, that's the guy. And they were like, come on. You're just thinking that because we just got done with that special fasting and praying session. And, to catch the thieves. He said, no, we got to go talk to that guy. So they went over there and they talked to him. And one thing led to another. They started searching his pockets. He had wire cutters and pieces of wire. Turns out he is the thief there to steal the last solar panels in the entire governmental region that were on the local translator's house. He knew they were going to be praying and fasting, so he was going to come in there while they were busy and steal the last solar panels. And so they took this guy into town. They tied him up. Because in West Africa, that's how they roll. They tied him up. They took him into town. They took him to the police station. And the, the police said, yeah, these thieves have been taking the solar panels two hours south, uh, east of here to this other city. And so they put together kind of a posse and they went down there with the policemen and they went around town confiscating solar panels that were stolen. I had eight solar panels stolen, and I got eight solar panels back, and some of them were mine. <laughs> and so <laughs> there was this big meeting in town, and the pastor in the city stood up in front of all these Muslims, because the, everyone in the city is Muslim, and he said that the, everyone's solar panels in their entire governmental area had been stolen and the only people who got their solar panels back were those who prayed in Jesus name and all the muslim leaders of the town learned that god answers persistent unified group prayer in Jesus name and now nobody steals from that church anymore so, you know, a few years ago they started pray, fasting and praying that, that God would use them to make, to, to evangelize their people and plant churches. And they started doing church planting in 20 different villages and two countries in two different languages. And you know that this is a movement of the Holy Spirit because that guy is in a river with a white suit on. I believe they're in the process of planting a church in every major Yolunka village. Prayer 
is not about getting what we want from God. Prayer is how God releases power in us to get whatever He wants. Because God answers persistent, unified group prayer in Jesus' name. So I, I really wish that there was a way I could make prayer like the next big thing. At least as big as like essential oils. Where people are going around like, you got to try this. You know, smearing that. But um, I only know one thing for you to do. I dare you to try it. Just try unified group prayer persistent in Jesus' name. And in this time, I would, I would also say it's okay for you to also lift up your complaints to God. If you're in a situation where it's hard, that's okay. You can complain. Just be faithful while you do it. You can complain to God. And be faithful. And He will answer your complaints as well. So right now, Pioneer Bible Translators is in the process of still doing this strategy. It's been 14 years now. And so we've gone from translating the Bible in 35 languages in 5 countries, to now we're translating the Bible, and you guys have a part in, in the answer to this. Uh, this prayer. We're translating the Bible for 45 million people in 99 languages in 22 different countries. If God can do that, what else? What might He do in answer to prayer? And you guys have had a part in that, being a part of the answer to the prayer. You guys have been faithful for years. And so you have so much to be grateful for, you have so much to be proud of in your church, that God has chosen you and used you in this church to make sure that 45 million people in 22 different countries, 99 different languages, would have the opportunity. And what we plan to do, prayerfully, is that we would start 200 many more Bible translation projects. We would do 300 total. So we're at 99, we're trying to go to 300 now, 200 plus more. And a lot of them, sign language translations among the deaf. So as you're meeting, remember, you're a part of this great end times fulfillment of the Great Commission. You know, Jesus said, this, you know, to, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. He meant the 70 million, 200 million deaf in 400 sign languages. He meant the you know, 1,900, 2,000 more spoken languages that need to be, or is it 1,700 spoken languages that need translation? He's going to do all of that. And when it's done to his satisfaction, then the end will come. And can anyone deny that we are seeing the signs of the end of the age? So this is no time to fail to pray. This is no time to fail to obey and make disciples of all nations. This is the time to be faithful. So I want to challenge you. The way I've 
chosen to do this is I've set my uh, alarm on my phone for 8 o'clock at night. Some people are, are setting it for 7.14, for Second Chronicles 7.14. But, you know, every night, every morning, this is the time to be faithful in prayer. And, you know, we just, whatever we're watching on TV, we turn it off for a little while, and we just pray together. This is that moment where we need to be faithful. Let's, let's, let's pray. Lord, so much is going on. We see this virus, and we don't know what to do, but we know that you are not confused. You've never been confused. You've never been shocked or surprised about anything. You saw all of these things coming. So, Lord, we invite you. Lord, use this time to your glory. Use this terrible moment in our history to bring this country back to your son, Jesus. And, Lord, when you're ready, we beg you, please remove this virus from the earth. And in the midst of these signs of the end times, I pray that you would help us to fulfill the purpose of the age that everyone, everywhere, would encounter your word and your son Jesus. Come to faith in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.